It is Wednesday, December 27th, 2023, and we have been in the uh, book of Joshua for a while now, and uh, chapter 5, it's only 15 verses, we thought, or, y- or y'all probably thought we would wrap that up in one Wednesday night, but now we're uh, on our third Wednesday, and we still have not gone through those 15 verses, and it's, it's pretty neat how much you can get out of the Old Testament because of all the types and pictures and the references in the New Testament about these things. And so when you go back and forth and you start uh, um, looking at all the different places in the Bible that all tie together, you can spend some time on it. And, you know, we need to be... We need to understand that the Word of God is very, very deep, but we don't have to be scared of it. We can swim in the shallows. We can wade around in the shallows. It's safe there. But then we could venture out into the deep waters and uh, really get a lot out of it. So in chapter 5, there was three things that we were focusing on and they, that was the sharp knives in verse 2, and then the old corn, which is over in verse 11, and the sharp knives, we're talking about circumcision, and the Bible has so much to say about it. The actual physical circumcision that the nation of Israel went through, that any person could see, that, that was a physical thing, that you can see here on this earthly level of looking at things, but it had a spiritual meaning where you would have to look uh, for the Holy Spirit to give you understanding. That's something that uh, we don't talk about enough is it is so important to know that the Holy Spirit is what gives you the real understanding of what the Word of God really means and how you get victory. Now, uh, I got a Christmas present from somebody, and it's a couple books. It's two-volume set of A.W. Tozer, and I was reading a little bit in there, and I I absolutely love them. And he was talking about, um, I mean, he's been dead for a good while, so that's good. That's really good. And he goes by A.W. He goes by his first two initials, a good sign, and he, I think he died in 63, 1963, if I remember correctly. And then, when you look at the beginning of the book, and you open it up, and it says, all scripture quotations are from the Holy Bible King James Version. That meets all three of my criterias of a really good book to read, a commentary or collection of sermons, whatever it might be. So, I trust it. And he was saying, If you want more of the Holy Spirit, don't beg God for the Holy Spirit, but glorify Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit never, as you go through the whole Bible, the Holy Ghost does not draw attention to Himself. He's always pointing to Jesus. So if we want more of the Holy Spirit and want to be led by the Holy Spirit, You don't go after the Holy Spirit. You don't ask for the Holy Spirit necessarily, but you 
have relationship with Jesus Christ. You glorify Him every chance you get. And the more you do that, the more the Spirit will show up. So we do need the Holy Spirit to show us the deep meaning of the Word of God. And the, the things that really matter, we cannot show them to other people. Uh, we cannot show them dying with Christ, being buried with Him, being raised up with Him. We, we can't show people that we are sitting at the right hand of the Father in heaven right now. We are. We can't prove it. But those are the more real things that we must believe. And when we really believe those things and live that way, people see that. They see that we have victory in this world that seems like there's no way to have victory. You, know, you can be an overcomer because you're following Jesus and you're looking at the more real. You're not, looking, you're not focused on the things of this world that will make you depressed, unhappy, unmotivated. There's all kinds of things that will keep you down. And our adversary, the devil, he uh, promotes all of those things. He makes them look good and fun, and he tries to draw our attentions to all those other things, worldly things, things that uh, appeal to the flesh, and we're in a battle against the world, the flesh, and the devil. So all of this is showing us how to have victory. And we're, we are remembering the memorials that were set up, the one that's underneath all of the flood waters of the, of the Jordan, there's one down in there. We know it's there because the Word of God says it's there. That represents Jesus and His substitutionary death for us. And then the stones that are up on the bank, up in Gilgal, there's a pile of stones there, and that represents us coming up out of the Jordan with Jesus. We're remembering all those things. And then we go through this getting rid of the flesh, the circumcision of the heart, and then we were talking about, uh, starting with verse 10 of chapter 5, we start talking about eating. It's very important. The, the whole topic of eating a meal is from the beginning of the Bible all the way to the end. It's all through the Bible. Eating over and over and over again. Eating is a very holy thing but it also could be used to get us in big trouble. You can ask Eve about that. You can ask Adam about that. It was about eating what got them in big trouble. <clears throat> so this old corn that was in this, the plain of Jericho, the, the, so you have been delivered from the penalty of the sin. That's, that's coming out of Egypt. You've been, you've been delivered from that bondage. The Passover that verse 10 talks about in chapter 5 of Joshua, that Passover is something that they got when they were still in Egypt. They had to sacrifice the little lamb. They come out of Egypt because of the blood that was applied. They're set free, and then they go through the wilderness. They go finally make it to the Jordan River. They go through it. 
And now that they're in this new land, they're to eat the old corn, which means when you go into, when you finally go into this walk, this Christian walk, your promised land, entering the kingdom of God, at that point, you don't have to come up with all these things that you need. Everything you need is in Christ. And this old corn is already there. your, Your enemy that you're replacing out of the land of Canaan they did all the stuff that you need, which is the food, the grain that's planted. It's already there for you to go in and take possession of. You don't have to go through all those works to have this Passover meal. And that old corn is there to feed the people. Now, last, I think it was last week we, we read out of uh, John 6 and, and John 12. And John 6 was talking about the manna that came down from heaven and Jesus telling the people that He was the the true bread from heaven. And then in uh, John 12, He talks about unless they uh, corn a wheat, go into the ground and die, if that never happens, then then you're not going to have the fruit, the bountiful fruit that comes from that seed going down into the ground. So He uh, makes Himself to be those two things, the manna that came down from heaven to give us life, the bread of life, and then he's also that seed that went into the ground to die, and, and if it wasn't for him going into the ground and dying, then he, he wouldn't be able to produce all of Christianity, all of us that are now able to get into the kingdom and be born again because of him dying and going into the ground and then sprouting up like, like this uh, seed would do and bring forth many, many uh, kernels. Okay, so now, so we've gotten through that. Now, when, think about the manna that fell all that time they were wandering in the wilderness. That manna fell on the ground. When they came out of their tents in the morning, did they have to go hunting for it? Did they have to uh, figure out the right way to go and go try to find it? Did they have to climb up a mountain to get it? Did they they have to climb up in a tree? Think about it. The manna was right there on the ground for them to walk out of their tent, and they had a decision to make. Are they going to walk out and pick it up and eat it, or are they going to trample it underfoot? How does that apply today? We get up every day. That, that manna was there morning by morning. That's probably why Charles Spurgeon had that devotional called Morning by Morning. It's because every single morning early when you get up, Jesus has already given you everything you need and you need to take possession of it. You walk out, it's right there for you. Jesus is already there. Are you going to trample Him underfoot? Or are you going to eat the manna? Are you going to? All right, now 13. This is verse 13 of Joshua 5. And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked, 
And behold, there stood a man over against him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went unto him. Notice, notice that he's, he's, he must have been out there maybe doing some reconnaissance. He had a big battle to face. He is the leader now. Jericho was huge, double-walled. How do you defeat it? He's out there by himself looking things over, and then all of a sudden there's this, I'm sure was a, a pretty profound person, something that really caught his eye, and there was a sword drawn in his hand. Did Joshua turn around and run away? Did he call for reinforcements? He just saw him and went right toward him. You know, Joshua is a warrior. He's not afraid. And Josh, Joshua went unto him and said unto him, Art thou for us or for our adversaries? Think about, are you, if you were asked that question, are you for being on God's side? Are you part of that group, or are you for the adversaries? You can't be neutral. No person can be neutral. But what does this person that Josh was talking to, how does he answer? And he said, nay, or no, basically saying, I'm not for either one. Well, how is that possible? There's only one person in the world who could answer that way. And that would be Jesus. And he said, nay, but as captain of the host of the Lord, am I now come? That's all he had to say. He's captain of the host of the Lord, am I now come? And he, look, look, at how, look at what Joshua does. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship, and said unto him, What saith my Lord unto his servant? And the captain of the Lord's host said unto Joshua, Loose thy shoe from off thy foot, for the place whereon thou standest is holy. And Joshua did so. <clears throat> Joshua had taken over for Moses, right? Well, remember when Moses saw the burning bush, he went toward it, God spoke to him out of the burning bush, and what did he say to Moses? Yeah, same thing right here. Take off your shoes. You're standing on holy ground. Well, this is, this, this is land that was very... The land that Joshua is now standing on is a very corrupted land. How, how is it holy? Uh, this land is so corrupted that it is about ready to vomit out the inhabitants. You know, I worry about this country, the United States of America. Because the more you corrupt the land, the closer you are for the land to vomit you out. You will be expelled from your land as you corrupt the land. It always happens. You look back through history, and the, the worse a people become, 
the more God judges them and pushes them out of their land. It happened to Israel over and over again, and uh, we should learn from it, but we don't. So how is it that this land is holy? Because Jesus is there. It doesn't matter where you go, if you're walking with Jesus, everywhere you go is holy ground. All right, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read a little something out of my Spurgeon Bible. This is what Spurgeon said about this verse 14, that as captain of the host of the Lord am I now come. After the instructions had been carried out, we might expect that at once the trumpet sounded for an assault and the valiant men valiant men of Israel, with their scaling ladders and battering rams, gathered around the devoted city to attack and carry it by storm. Patience, patience, we are always in a hurry, but God is not. Joshua himself is in some haste, and he goes out at night to meditate and patrol as he wonders where would be the best point of attack, he is astonished by the appearance of a stately figure wielding a sword. Brave Joshua advances at once to the apparent intruder and demands of him, Art thou for us or for our adversaries? Then a majestic voice answered, Nay, this was actually Joshua's superior commander. Discerning the deity of the celestial warrior, Joshua bowed in worship and humbly inquired what he should do. After he had been instructed, he carried out the Lord's directions. The children of Israel may be compared to a gallant vessel prepared for a long voyage. All the cargo is on board and everyone is in his place, but why does she linger? If we ask the one at the helm, he will tell us. We are waiting for the captain. This is precisely the condition of the church. Having made preparations to act, we need the divine presence, and we must pause for a while and seek it prayerfully that in his matchless power we may go forward successfully. That's Charles Spurgeon back in the 1800s talking about that passage. And, you know, Joshua walks out there and... It's, it's his commander. It's his superior officer that he's walking up to, and he realizes it right away. All right, here's a little nugget out of uh, Adrian Rogers. So Adrian Rogers talks about the same verse. He says, God hasn't come to take sides. So Joshua asked, are you on our side or their side? God hasn't come to take sides. He has come to take over. You will never know victory until you lay your sword at His feet and worship Him. Stop trying to get God on your side. Get on God's side. Bow before Him, for victory is received by faith. So when Joshua asked him, whose side are you on? Jesus like, uh, I think you need to be picking which side you're on. Are you with me? So stop trying to get God to be on your side 
and get on his side. All right. So now we're in Warren Wearsby's book. I haven't read out of that in a long time. Joshua had read in the book of the law what Moses had said to the Lord after Israel had made the golden calf. In your presence does not, if your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. The Lord had promised to be with Joshua just as he had been with Moses, and now he reaffirmed that promise in a personal way. Like his predecessor, Joshua refused to move until he was sure the, Lord, the Lord's presence was with him. This paragraph records one of the pre-incarnation appearances of the Lord Jesus Christ recorded in the Old Testament. All right, listen carefully. To Abraham, the pilgrim, the Lord came as a traveler to share in a friendly meal. To Jacob, the schemer, he came as a wrestler to bring him to a place of submission. The three Hebrews, remember the three Hebrews that were thrown in the fiery furnace? Met him as their companion in that fiery furnace. And Joshua met him as captain of the Lord's armies. Our Lord always comes to us when we need him and in the way we need him. It must have been a great encouragement to Joshua to realize that he was not alone. There is a loneliness to leadership that can be disturbing and even depressing as you realize how much your decisions affect the lives of others. Uh, Harry Truman said that it was a very lonely thing to be president of the United States, and, and if you know anything about some of the decisions he had to make, you will understand why. Joshua must have been feeling some of that loneliness. God had promised to be with Joshua, and the people had prayed that the Lord would be with him. The enemy knew that God was with Israel, and Joshua had encouraged his people with this promise. Joshua was now experiencing the reality of that promise. The Lord met him as captain of the Lord's armies, whether in heaven or on earth. The Lord of hosts or armies is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Joshua would rec recall the song Israel had sung at the Red Sea. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. So now that Joshua has met his commanding officer, knows that he is with him, now they're ready to go and fight against Jericho. And that's where we're headed in chapter 6. Now it is chapter 6. Chapter 6 is the number of man. Jericho represents that. And I, I, one, of these th one of these things I just read to you talked about how, I believe it was Spurgeon, how when Joshua went to meet with his people, his, his officers, they all probably had really good ideas on how they could attack this great city. And Joshua, if he was a good leader, he would listen to all of that counsel. But after listening to all of it, which could have been, like Spurgeon said, these ladders, you would, run up, you would take ladders, tall ladders, and run up to the walls and, and 
lean them up against the wall and climb up as fast as you could. You have a whole bunch of them, and you scale the wall, get up on top of the wall as fast as you could. I don't know. I mean, these walls were extremely tall. I doubt that they would have had ladders where they could have done that, but that would have been one good idea. The battering rams to bust the door down, the gates, that's another great idea. Um, uh, catapults, I don't know if they had them back then, but slinging these uh, fiery balls out to try to burn something down to where you can get in. There's all kinds of military ideas that they could have come up with that would have been decent ideas. But Joshua has asked his commanding officer, how do we do this? So let's start reading in uh, chapter 6. Now Jericho was straightly shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out, and none came in. And the Lord said unto Joshua, See, I have given into thine hand Jericho and the king thereof, and the mighty men of valor. And ye shall compass the city, all ye men of war, and go round about the city once. Thus shalt thou do six days. All right, yeah, that sounds like a good plan. That sounds awesome. And seven priests shall bear before the ark seven trumpets. Now, if you don't know the significance of the number seven in Scripture, you'll read right by this. But I know how perfect the number seven is and how significant it is. So when I, when I taught this to the guys at the jail, what, 14 years ago probably, things like that really didn't... When I go back through something that I taught 10 to 15 years ago, and I go through it now, I'm ashamed at what I didn't see and what I didn't know back then. And it was so good when I did it before, and, and the way I thought. And, and the response I got from people... They were like, wow, that was so awesome. And then I look at how much deeper I see now compared to what I did back then. So when I start seeing, and seven priests shall bear before the ark seven trumpets, I'm like, ooh, this is getting serious. Wow. But to a normal human being, this is ridiculous. The ark, uh, before the ark, seven trumpets of ram's horns, and the seventh day ye shall compass the city seven times, and the priest shall blow with the trumpets. And it shall come to pass that when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when ye hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city shall fall down flat, and the people shall ascend up every man straight before him. That's what Joshua, right, he's listened to all of his military officers. I'm just guessing that this is what happened, because I don't see it in Scripture, but that's probably what happened. They, they had all these great ideas, and Joshua said, okay, okay, all right, I got you, okay, all right, this is what we got to do. And he said this to them. And they're all very experienced military leaders, and they're all looking at him like, waiting for him to laugh, waiting for him, you know, to say, guys, I'm just kidding, come on. He's serious. He's very serious. You know, the Lord will use the foolish things to confound the wise. And 
this is something you must believe because it makes no sense to the human mind. You're showing, Joshua is showing, and all of the people, they're, they're going to go along with it. They're going to do exactly what he said, which means they all trust the leader that God has put them with. And they are going to do what Joshua, as ridiculous as it sounds, they're going to do it. So, uh, you know, when people ask the question, I asked it uh, at homecoming, I asked how many times did the people walk around Jericho? Now, over in Hebrews, pretty sure it's in Hebrews where it says they walked around seven days. So you got seven in your mind, and seven, if you don't know, seven's the answer, right? If you don't really know, if you want to guess, I've already given you a hint, right? You'd guess seven. But very few people, unless they really remember the story, would guess 13, because you've got to do a little bit of math. So you're gonna, they're going to come past the city once for six days. That's six. Then on the seventh day, they're going to go around seven. Six plus seven is 13. That's how many times they went around the city. So don't get tricked by that question. So it's 13 times total, but seven days they come past the city is a correct answer as well. Verse 6, And Joshua the son of Nun called the priests and said unto them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Ark of the Lord. And he said unto the people, Pass on and come past the city, and let him that is armed pass on before the Ark of the Lord. And it came to pass when Joshua had spoken unto the people that the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns passed on before the Lord and blew with the trumpets, and the ark of the covenant of the Lord followed them. And the armed men went before the priests that blew with the trumpets, and the rearward came after the ark, the priests going on and blowing with the trumpets. And Joshua had commanded the people, saying, Ye shall not shout, nor make any noise with your voice, neither shall any word proceed out of your mouth, until the day I bid you shout, then shall ye shout. Now, can you imagine? The people, we know that the people that are inside of Jericho are scared as they can be. Nobody's going out, nobody's coming in. Everything, they're on big time lockdown. And when they watch all these people come and they start going around the city walls, they're probably about to freak out. They're just, what is going to happen? What, is, what are they doing? They probably were just really standing uh, against that gate. They're probably reinforcing everything. And it's like, here they come, here they come. And they get right up to the walls, and then they start going around. Okay, uh, they're, they're, they're over here now. And they start shifting around inside. There's people up on the wall looking down going, they're, they're going this way, they're going this way. And they're running back and forth. And they go all the way around the whole city and get back to where they started and then go home. And they're all up there going, wiping the sweat off of them. And they're, just, they're just freaking out like, what are they doing now? What are they doing? And, go ahead.
the rear guard. So in nine, rearward, ward, rearward is the rear guard. Okay, cool. All right, all right, and 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 you know, in the in the Veggie Tales version of this story, they're throwing slushies off the wall, right? You ever seen that? The Veggie is that right? The Veggie Tale version of this, they're throwing slushies off. It's been a while. I mean, Veggie Tales has been a, been a kind of out of the picture for a good while, but it was all the little green peas on top of the wall. Veggie Tales, you ever watch that? It's 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 funny, but. There, can, you, can you imagine maybe some of the people harassing them and hollering down at them? I don't know what all happened there. But they were silent the whole trip around the walls. 11. So the ark of the Lord can pass the city, going about it once, and they came into the camp and lodged in the camp. So there they went. They watched them go right back over to the camp. Now, all the people in Jericho probably are like, what is going on? And Joshua, Joshua rose early in the morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord, and seven priests bearing seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord went on continually and blew with the trumpets, and the armed men went before them. But the rearward came after the ark of the Lord, the priests going on and blowing with the trumpets. And the second day they compassed the city once, and returned into the camp. I'm glad they don't go through that whole process and have to read it all. So, here, so they did six days. And it came to pass on the seventh day that they rose early about the dawning of the day and compassed the city after the same manner seven times. Only on that day they compassed the city seven times. And it came to pass at the seventh time when the priests blew with the trumpets, Joshua said unto the people, Shout, for the Lord hath given you the city, and the city shall be accursed, even it, and all that are therein, to the Lord. Only Rahab and the harlot, or only Rahab the harlot shall live, she and all that are with her in the house, because she hid the messengers that we sent. And ye in any wise keep yourselves from the accursed thing, lest ye make yourselves accursed when ye take of the accursed thing and make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it. All right, so what, what normally happened when you defeated a city? is you were allowed to go in and take the spoil of that battle, which means all of the, anything you saw of any value, you fought the battle, you won the battle, you go in and you spoil it, you take everything. Well, this city represents the world, the ways of the world, and in our Christian walk, we're not supposed to bring anything worldly with us on that walk. So because of what this city represents, everything's accursed. We have to be extremely uh, aware as we have this church here. We are a, uh, a church that is active in the community. We're, we have a job to do. We're serving the Lord, and we are supposed to be New Testament saints. 
We look at the New Testament, and that's how we do everything here, by what the Bible says. If you bring anything out of the world, as good of an idea as it might be, to be more entertaining, to be more uh, tolerant, there's all kinds of things that you could do and mix in with New Testament guidelines to make yourself more presentable to the world. That's a, that's a huge danger to do. And many churches across this land have done just that. They have mixed in worldly things with church things. Sounds good to the human mind, but you're not trusting that God has provided everything you need in the Bible, and if don't you can't uh, cater to people who say uh, we need more, we need to do this, we need to do that. You must stick with what the Bible says. So don't take anything of the accursed world and and bring it with you. Nineteen, but. All the silver and gold and vessels of brass and iron are consecrated unto the Lord. They shall come into the treasury of the Lord. So no individual in this situation, which was different, it's very different than most of the battles that they fought, they could take. But this one, do not take. And all of these things we just read about, silver, gold, brass, iron, that is to go into the treasury. No person is to keep any for themselves. So the people shouted when the priests blew the trumpets, and it came to pass when the people heard the sound of the trumpet, and the people shouted with a great shout that the wall fell down flat so that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city. And they utterly destroyed all that was in the city, both man and woman, young and old, and ox and sheep, and ass or donkey with the edge of the sword. But Joshua had said unto the two men that had spied out the country, Go into the harlot's house and bring out thence the woman and all that she hath as, as ye swear unto her. And the young men that were spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and her mother and her brethren and all that she had. And they brought out all her kindred and left them without or outside the camp of Israel. And they burnt the city with fire and all that was therein, only the silver and the gold and the vessels of brass and of iron, they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. And Joshua saved Rahab the harlot alive and her father's household and all that she had, and she dwelleth in Israel even unto this day, because she hid the messengers which Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. And Joshua adjured them at that time, saying, Cursed be the man before the Lord that riseth up and buildeth this city Jericho. He shall lay the foundation thereof in his firstborn, and in his youngest son shall he set up the gates of it. So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame was noised throughout all the country. Now we're going to talk a little bit, just a little bit more about uh, Jericho next week, and we're going to talk about how the city was cursed and some of the uh, 
uh, facts behind these, uh, you know, this city being rebuilt. So we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit. But next week, chapter 7, it's just this little old city. I mean, AI, just a piece of cake. No problems there, right? So we'll get into that sometime next week. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for, for your word. We thank you for uh, these stories that we can learn, that we can uh, use to be able to live the way we're supposed to live today by the examples that you gave us through these great stories of Joshua going into the promised land, being the leader of the people. And Father, that uh, when, the, when, when the people obeyed your word, things were great. But Father, when just one, when just one would disobey, it affects everyone. Father, we want to learn from, from your word. Father, we, we don't want to have to uh, prove it out ourselves. We want to learn from others. Learn from the past so that we don't repeat it. Father, help us. Father, help us as a church to uh, be confident in your ways and help us to stand up against worldly ways. Thank you, Father. We want to be a church here that glorifies your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you. In his name we pray. Amen.